Welcome to the Deep Dive Podcast with Beth and Bethany. I'm Beth Koenig, one of the hosts, and this is... Bethany Johnson, your other host. Welcome. Yeah, so today we are going to be talking about child care versus elder care um, and telling a bit about our stories. So this was a good topic because Beth uh, has some recent uh, experience with elder care and I definitely have some recent experience with child care (laughs) and I feel like they're not really uh, compared very often, although so many people are dealing with both. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I wasn't aware of how prevalent um, issues with elder care were until I was kind of thrust into that world, um, you know, last year, mm-hmm. um, which is really interesting. Um, so I guess I'll start with uh, yeah. my story here. Um, last year, I came out in May to visit my parents. Um, I'm originally from California, and my parents decided to move to Pittsburgh. So the pandemic was kind of cooling down, and I decided to get a ticket out here to come visit them in Pittsburgh. And uh, came out and spent two months um, and decided to stay two more weeks. So I extended my stay. And four days before I was supposed to fly back, my dad ended up having a heart attack. Mm. Yeah. Uh, he is, um, he's currently 73. He was 72 at the time. Was he was in good he... health before then? Uh, he was independent. He did everything himself. And I mean, he had, you know, some mobility of slowing down, things like that. But it wasn't anything that would keep him from, you know, moving around. Um, and so, yeah, he had just, you know, um, he presented as being sick for two days. Um in fact, the first day we're like, oh, dad has a cold. The second day we're like, he has COVID. Let's test him. The test was negative and we're like, okay, well, I guess it's just a really bad cold. And so the second day we're like, uh, he has COVID or there's something really wrong with him. And his oxygen was below 88, um, which is which is you know when you need to get the paramedics is mm-hmm. when their oxygen is below 88. Um, and so we ended up in the cath lab. Um, uh, that night, um, you know, me, my sister, uh, my mom in the waiting room with my dad in the cath lab with the with the doctors and uh, me and my sister and my mom were sitting around talking. I'm like, well, I'm moving to Pennsylvania now. And I just stated, matter of fact, and they're like, what, why, what, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm moving to Pennsylvania, obviously. I mean, it's not even a question. And I'm like, seriously? I'm like, yes, of course. Like I always said, if something happened, I would be here. And obviously this, you know, whatever happens, I'm here. Um, And so I don't know what or where or why, but I'm moving to Pennsylvania. Um, So we got to see him after the cath lab procedure that night. And he was fine. He was talking. We said goodnight. We loved him. And we went home. And we came back to visit him in the ICU the next day. And he wouldn't wake up. Um, He's just um, semi-responsive. Um, you know, I've learned about the AVPU scale now <laughs> because I'm taking EFT classes. Yeah, the AVPU scale is like uh, uh, how to measure their alertness. Okay. Yeah, and so it's it's really cool. It's um, it's um, alertness, pain, av, um, yeah, AVPU. 
alertness and pain are two of them. <laughs> obviously, obviously, you could you can see. Um, I really need to brush up on my acronym. I remember the acronym. I know exactly what it does, and I can probably look at the test question and say, "Yes, that person. Okay, that's their AFTU score." But then I'm like, uh, "Don't easy Google search. We could even Google search it right now." Avpoo, yeah. You're talking, and I will uh, search Avpoo. Yeah, so that's that's kind of fun. Um, but yeah, my dad was was definitely very very low on the Avpoo score. Alert, voice pain, unresponsive. Yes. So alert, um, their response to um to vocal stimuli, pain, and what was the one? Unresponsive. Unresponsive. Yeah. Yeah. So. It, it depends on like which they're at. So alert is like they turn and look at you when you walk in the room. Okay. Um, they're reading these on like one to ten or no. Like if they look at you and walk in the room, they're alert. Okay. You the okay. If you have to vocalize to get their attention, that's okay. you know. If there's no response until you do it like a sternal rub or you know or you touch them or something to touch. Um, that's considered like pain stimuli. And there's ways that we can produce pain without actually causing too much pain. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sternal rub is one of those things. Um, take a knuckle and rub and it's very, it's it's an uncomfortable pain. In fact, I just feel it right here right now. Um, it's uncomfortable, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's what they do. And if somebody responds to that, then they say, oh, responsive to pain. If they don't respond to that, you mark them as unresponsive. And that's when you have to go off of things like, are they breathing? <laughs> What's their pulse? Right. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of thing. But my dad, my dad was um, responsive to pain stimuli. Okay. Um, and he was sometimes responsive to vocal stimuli. Sometimes okay. not always. Sometimes they had to go and do the sternal rub to them to like, oh, okay. Um, so um, he was like, he was like that. Um, by the time we left the first day, um, we didn't really know what was going to happen. But he kind of shown us signs that, you know, he's just very tired from the procedure and we probably just needed to let him rest. And my sister got on the horn. It was like, you need to run tests. We need to know exactly what's going on. He needs to go on an MRI like that. So she was on that. And by the next day, uh, we found out that he had two strokes. Oh, wow. So you think if your sister wasn't on the doctors like that, they would have just been like, we don't know. They wouldn't have run those yeah. tests by themselves. No, because the last time uh, something like this had happened where dad had had to be in the hospital in 2012, um, he was in one of the top facilities in California. And um, we kept asking them what was wrong with him. And they're like, we don't know. We don't know. He just had seizures. He had to be in a coma, blah, 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 blah. Like, really? And then we pulled his records, and one of his records said that he had a stroke back then, too. Oh, wow. And he hasn't driven since 2012 because he has seizures, right? So, but he'd been seizure-free for for years. I just wanted to show how much, I mean, one of the first parts of elder care is just being an advocate so they can even get the care that they need. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I'm really lucky. Uh, my sister works in healthcare. Mm -hmm. um, she's in the administration side and I am telling you, <laughs> if you think having a nurse on your side is good, get one of the admins on your side. Yeah. 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 Totally. Okay. So he had a stroke. So what, what happened then? 
Um, so then we went through the whole thing of, okay, is dad going to live or die? Because remember, his heart's the main thing. We didn't mm. really care about his brain. As long as his brain is there and he's kind of somewhat responsive, um, the next day or two, he kind of started coming out of it. Um, we went, one day we went to visit him and we went from him like just pointing around. We can tell what he's trying to point to or say or anything. Ends up he had been talking about the lights. We're able to discern that later, much later. I thought um, when you have a stroke, if there's like a very short time frame that you like need to get them to the hospital and get this procedure done for them to be okay. Is that yeah. not right? Well, when he was showing signs, they had pushed meds for him, assuming okay. that okay. it was a stroke. Because we said, yeah, but anything, anything. Like, if you think this is a stroke, push. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay. You know, um, there'd been like stroke alert protocols run on him. We went back through his records to make sure they did everything correctly. Um, and if things did happen in the timeline in which they reported it happening, then it was correct. Okay. Um, you know, sometimes I, I don't know if that's the case, but I'm telling you that hospital did save my dad's life and I'm very grateful for them doing that. Okay. So, okay. Um, yeah. So I think, I think they did the best that they could with what they had. So how long was he in the hospital for before you were able to take um, him? He was in the hospital for quite a while. And then um, after all of his heart stuff, again, with us advocating, hey, if there's any issues with his heart, he needs to stay in the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, it got to the point where they're like, he's better off in stroke rehab. I'm like, okay, well, does he still need a heart monitor? You know, and stuff like that. And I didn't want him moved to a rehab facility until his heart was taken care of. Because obviously, if you don't have a heart pumping blood to your brain, you got, you know, problems. Mm -hmm. um, and so eventually his heart condition was considered stable enough because I had to put in two stents. He had 100% blockage and he had two stents. And then he had two other arteries that were also clogged at 30% and 40%. And to this day, that's still the case. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So we got to keep an eye on those. But um, he is in a he is on a lot of medicine to prevent um, to prevent stuff okay. from happening, and I keep double checking his meds. I'm telling you, the number one thing when you have an elder that's on a lot of medication, you got to be on top of those meds. Mm, yeah, like I literally have alarms going off. <laughs> I mean, I have to have alarms going off for my own meds. I can't imagine having to, you know, like we there's six kids in my family and. For a while there, I thought my youngest two siblings, they'd be the ones that took care of my parents. They're 70 now. And uh, but then one of them went to the military and one of them got married to an Israeli and lives in Israel now. So now I'm like, well, who's going to take care of mom and dad? Now I don't know. And it's like a very real, you know, it's on my mind because they're getting up there. They're not in the best of health. I mean, they're they're fine now, but like anything could happen at any time. And who would be, they live in Missouri. I live in Vegas and my other brother lives in Vegas. One lives in Colorado. Like who's going to take care of them and how are we going to do that? So this is definitely on my mind lately. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's, it's scary too, because, you know, um, my, my, my whole plan was if something happened, I'd just be here and deal with it. You know, that was my contingency plan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I implemented it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you just did what you had to do. Yeah, so that was, um, yeah, that was um, almost a year. It's, it's approaching a year. Um, 
you know, we're recording this. Of you own your own business and it's online, right? Yeah. If you hadn't, um, do you think you would have made the choice to like move them to you? Um, I probably would have quit my job. Okay. Um, my parents get enough money where if I move, they could support. Okay. Until something happened to dad, I'd find another job or I'd switch to remote work. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that's like, it was never a question. Um, I, you know, luckily because of COVID, I'd switched everything remote anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a blessing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, I want to go to in person. Of course, you know, in person because you run, you know, you're, you're partially in person. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I'm like, ah, I'm not going to do the in person thing. I don't have the energy for it. <laughs> like, it's a lot of energy. A lot of yeah. Energy. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love, I'd love to, I'd love to be able to like just visit and hang out while it's going on, type of a thing. But <laughs> well, let's say a little bit about how me and Beth even know each other is that we both run. Uh, well, hers is a lot more than preschool. I run a preschool, and she runs preschool and lots of other things. Um, so that's how we know each other because we both do that type of work. Although hers is much more. It's much different than mine, much more extensive, but we both work with kids. Um, I have a local preschool and an online and all hers is online now, but she works with kids from what to what ages do you work with? Um, we, we work. Yeah, we work the whole gambit ever, all the way from birth up to, you know, elder. So, mm -hmm. OK, yeah. so you have yeah experience with all different ages. And but thankfully, it's all remote now. So you were able to do do what you needed and wanted to do which was take care of your parents when they needed you not everyone has that um is able to do that which is what we're going to talk about in a little bit because doing doing some research on this there's not a lot of support for people who are taking care of their elderly or disabled family members yeah there really isn't a whole lot of support um you know there's you know, my dad happens to be getting social security and he's considered a hundred percent disabled vet um, from, he was exposed to agent orange and he has a lot of issues related to that, that mm -hmm. they are related to it. Right. Um, and of course, PTSD, because, you know, um, vets have a lot of PTSD. Um, in fact, you can still kind of see it in him sometimes. Um, you know, he, he wants to know what's going on outside. He gets very uncomfortable if he doesn't know. Mm. Um, you know, he's afraid that the people are going to start shooting at him. Which, you know, given where he was in the war. <laughs> given where he was in the war, you know, he was in the Vietnam War. He was flying airplanes that were getting, you know, shot at. Yeah. Um, and he was shooting back, you know. Um, and so, yeah. He, he has a lot of uh, a lot of issues with that kind of thing. And he had those issues for 40 plus years, right? Because I'm 40 now and geez, when was the Vietnam War? <laughs> Sometime before that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. All right. So what has this year been like uh, being the caretaker? Well, it's been interesting. Um, I kind of liken it to what I studied about child development because my dad had this period of time where, you know, he's just able to point 
his finger. He kind of moved from the infant phase to the kind of, you know, pre-verbal phase within a day. Mm. We got there and he could only like gesture towards things. Okay. Um, and we were thinking, we tried to give him a pen and he couldn't write at all. It was just scribbles. Um, and we're like, okay, dad, can you point to this letter? And we quickly figured out that his eyes were, his eyes, like he couldn't really see. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're like, okay, well, we need to get him an alphabet board, you know, get him some alphabet letters so he can spell stuff. Because we quickly learned that, you know, it's, it's dad. He's obviously responding. He's showing that he knows things, right? Like, yeah, he just can't uh, communicate. Yeah, he couldn't talk at all. Like, oh, man. No, yeah. That's, that's hard. That is hard. When you know yeah. they're there, they just can't communicate. I can't imagine how frustrating that would be for him and for people, you know, for you guys. Yeah, and he, he, he had so much patience, though. You know, we kept explaining where he was, what was going on, what was in his environment, and kept talking and explaining things to him. Um, you know, and he, occasionally we would hear some word that we thought was what it was. And so we were just like playing this guessing game. And so that morning we thought, okay, on l at lunch, we're going to go out and buy dad an alphabet board and we're going to train him how to do the letters so that he can spell stuff out and communicate to everybody, right? Then by the time that afternoon rolled around, he was starting to spell out words letter by letter vocally. We could barely make them out, but he was starting to spell them, right? Um, now, of course, um, we switched to the International Phonetic Alphabet. Both my dad and I are ham radio operators. Okay. Um, and so we were able to switch to the International Phonetic Alphabet. But that first couple of days... You know, we're in emergency mode, like, is dad going to, like, die again, like, die or something, because we still don't know anything about his heart condition, um, or not much anyway, because, you know, we're not cardiologists and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that first time was like, okay, well, dad's just spelling stuff. And so he would try to say stuff, and when we didn't understand, he'd try and spell it. And so he had been pointing down his bed, right, down, you know, trying to point down below his bed, and he was like... We knew he was talking about something to do with below his bed and something to do with the blanket. And we kept hearing food. He was saying food, food. And then he spelled it F-O-O-D. We're like, food. Okay, but dad, there's no food under your bed. There's no food there. You don't have food. Do you want do you want us to get you some food that you can hide under your bed for later? I mean, you know, you're you have you have your food up there. It's it's going directly into your stomach. Um, you know, like <laughs> the poor guy, he then figures out how to grab his blanket and he pulls it up and keeps grabbing it and then makes a tossing motion. And my mom's like, Oh, you want your foot under the blanket. What? With a T. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Wow. Yeah. So I'm going through that with uh, with my two year old. You no, know? he's pointing and saying something, and I'm like, "What is it? What is it? What do you want?" And then I'm finally like, "Oh, yes, that." You know. So it is like reverting back to, you know, childhood and infancy. Yeah, and toddlerhood, and um, and it's interesting because that's how I relate it. It's my dad is smart, much smarter than me, knows much more about what's going on. 
but physically he is a toddler. Um, you know how you have to make sure that you have food that they're not going to choke on and stuff. Mm-hmm. My dad is a choking risk. Like uh, the other day I had to do the Heimlich on him. Oh my gosh. Two days ago. He was wow. choking on a, a noodle in his soup. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it went down the wrong it went down the wrong way and he was turning purple, which is the first step to going cyanotic because they get the blood rush to their face, like it's from the straining, and then that starts turning purple because they're using up all the oxygen. And I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. We're gonna get this out. So I just jumped behind the bed and squeezed them real hard and it popped out. So wow. that was scary. That is scary. We, we now, we actually, um, yesterday I was in class and we were looking at the back of an ambulance. Well, it's actually a QRS truck. Anyways, they have these um, things that probably people have seen on TikTok. It goes over the face and it's like a plunger. Life back. Like, I have that. Yeah, I the life that. back. Yeah, because I'm terrified of, and we did baby led weaning with Silas. So we get, we're feeding him food at like two. I mean, at, at six months, we were like feeding him normal food, just at baby pieces. And, but I was so scared. So I got the life back. And thank God we haven't had to use it yet. But yes, I have one right in the kitchen next to his chair. We have one in the car. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you. Um, yeah, I can't wait to get ours and train everybody how to use it. And we will probably end up ordering like one to keep in his go bag. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, because, you know, I, I can't rely on somebody being able to get behind him and do the Heimlich. And the life facts are more effective sometimes. Yeah. yeah. You know, especially if you can't do the Heimlich effectively. You know, I could barely get my arms around him, you know. And then I was just pushing forward, you know, and basically pushing him forward with my chest while pulling in with my arms because I couldn't get all the way around him to get a really good grip. And Yeah, yeah, that was good. <sighs> Yeah, luckily it worked, but we're going to fix that. We're getting life back. Get that life back. <laughs> <laughs> yep, totally. And it's like, it's so fascinating, the parallels, right? Like, you already have a life back. I should have asked you, hey, what do you do if Silas chokes on stuff? <laughs> I mean, I am CPR and Heimlich certified and all that, but I life back, I honestly, I trust more than that because I've never had to do the Heimlich on anyone for real, you know, so yeah. they say that to use that after you do the Heimlich, if the Heimlich's not working, but I don't know, I probably like in a panic moment would probably go for that first, just because I'd be uh, so panicked trying to get it out as quick as I could. Yeah, and it, it's, I think the life back is probably more effective because yeah. we don't want to do stuff where we could potentially get that stuff further down mm -hmm. in, you know, we want to get that stuff out. Yeah. And, yeah, so I don't know. I have on hand for kids and elderly and anyone really. I'm like, yeah. carried in our diaper bag or in my purse or something. You never know when someone's gonna choke, even myself. Like, you could do it on yourself. Yeah, right. And that's exactly what we're doing is we're going to be training dad to, to grab it and use it if he needs sure. to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, in case he is around somebody who's like panicking, he can just grab it and do it himself and stuff. Yeah. And, um, I think that, um, you know, I was talking to the QRS guys that had the, you know, that's the quick response unit, um, paramedics, not paramedics. I think it's uh, EMT quick response unit. Okay. It's a basic life support. Basically, the difference is that those are just EMTs. They're the basic level EMTs. They're not advanced EMTs or paramedics. Paramedics are the ones with degrees and they have a lot more experience and stuff. Okay. 
Um, and so, yeah, the QRS guy was like, yeah, we've had two saves in wow. this township alone. In our township, they've used it twice and saved people. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, the Facebook ads got me on that one, honestly. So uh, <laughs> that was enough because I was already paranoid. I mean, I worry about everything. So that once I saw that, I was like, oh, that's what I'm getting. And then I felt better, even though, you know, it gave me peace yeah. of mind. Thank God I haven't had to use it. Well, speaking of um, speaking of peace of mind and baby equipment, I've thought about putting my dad on an apnea monitor. <laughs> mm, like the, the owlette. <laughs> we also yeah. got for the baby when he was a little. And then I read that like it, it's pretty much just for peace of mind. And it wasn't like it has an oxygen monitor, but it only beeps if it goes below 80. And I'm like, what? Aren't they like already dying if it's if their oxygen is below 80? Right. Mm hmm stuff like that but then they ended up recalling it anyway but oh my gosh they recalled it yeah because it was it was either giving people false alarms and like making them crazy because they thought their baby was dying when it when it wasn't or it like wasn't notifying them when they needed it to notify them so yes. it was never like fda approved anyway so uh i think they're trying to like redo it so they can get approval or something yeah, I think um, I think we'll all end up doing is just buy some medical equipment. Yeah, you know the thousand some odd dollar medical equipment that you can just have on them when they're yeah. laying down. I'll probably end up forking over a lot of money for the equipment. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I understand that. Yeah, because I'm like I am not losing my kid to SIDS. It's just not yeah. happening. Oh, uh, so scary. So scary. Yeah, luckily you're out. You're out of that time frame now, aren't you? Yes, I am. He's uh, he's like 26 months now. So that's yeah. good. It doesn't keep me from worrying about everything. I feel like I keep my worries pretty uh in my head because my husband's very uh, why would you think about that? Don't think about the bad thing. Blah blah blah. And I'm like, how do you stop thinking about it? Like how? It just blows my mind that he like doesn't worry about all of this it just blows my mind he can just turn his worries off and so we're uh, we're working on me turning my worries off but that's not happening yeah as well, well. The, the way i turned off my worries is i went to go take an emt class i was going nuts with all this stuff i'm like i don't want, like what the and so i um take the power in your own hands yeah i went and when i signed up the emt class is actually just around the corner from here like, um, at the community college, we live like literally a block from the like not even a block from the community college. Nice. Like literally right across. Actually, uh, if that house over there wasn't in the way, I could just walk directly to the college. Nice, nice. <laughs> the other end of the street, basically. Um, so, did you move your dad back into your mom's house? Yes. So originally when he went home from rehab, he was at my sister's house. He was there for 12 hours. And then uh, my sister woke up and my dad was cyanotic and had to go to the ER um, and ended up having COVID pneumonia. Oh, man. I had that when I was pregnant. That's no joke. Yeah. yeah. And of course, the rest of us caught COVID. So mm. dad got over his pneumonia in time for all of us to be better. And then we went and we were doing, um, we were doing shifts, uh, three of us, my sister, my mom and I were doing shifts, taking care of him 24 seven. 
at my sister's house instead of putting them in a nursing home because they, they wanted to send them to a nursing home. We're like, nope, we, nope, we do not approve that placement. You will not be sent to a nursing home. You're going to send all the equipment here to my sister's house and da, 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 right? And so we arranged all of that and got them sent to my sister's house. And then was that all, was all the equipment and stuff covered by um, his like insurance and everything? Um, well, we found out later that the greater majority of everything we bought was, yeah, it was, it was, it was covered by, by the VA. Uh, we, but we spent like a thousand bucks on all the stuff my sister thought we might need um, okay. to take care of him. Um, because, you know, ultimately we wanted the best for him and we wanted to have stuff on hand to use right away and, yeah. you know, just be prepared. And we're overprepared. We still have stuff left over that we bought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, uh. Whew, I can only imagine that like his life is in the three of your hands, you know? So it's like, yeah, my mom. learn a lot and buy a lot and just be on all the time. When you're on shift, you're like, you're literally someone's life is in your hand. Your dad, the most important person to you. So yeah, a lot. Yeah. And so we, we're, you know, we would hang out um, in that room at night um, in the living room. We'd watch TV and stuff and, um, you know, and try and, develop some sense of normalcy and you know we we'd pause the tv for diaper changes and stuff and like um it was i was going back to infancy basically when he had that covid it, all the potty training and independence he had at the rehab facility that he came to my sister's house with was lost during that covid pneumonia oh man and he regressed and um he had to build back his strength and stuff and then eventually um, he had another episode that landed him again in the hospital. But this time, um, he was going to be able to go to rehab again and get stronger. Okay. And I told dad, listen, you're going to do this. I'm going to go to California. I'm going to bring back Bobby, my business partner. Um, I'm going to move him to Pennsylvania to help with the house and everything. And we need this. So I'm going to go and I'm going to get a U-Haul. And, you know, so I went off the airplane, got a U-Haul, went and got the trailer, went and drove, you know, and I'm driving across the country with my business partner, his dog, his cat, and me and the U-Haul and the trailer behind us. It's like large white trailer we had um, for, um, it's one of those trailers that you haul like equipment and stuff in. Okay. Um, like a big one though. Like you can, like our entire eBay store fits in there. Okay. Um, yeah. So it, it was, it was an adventure and I got back and we had a few days before they let dad out and we focused on getting my mom's house ready and we thought he was coming home one day. And so we called, we called these movers, right? Because he had this hospital bed, this like giant hospital bed, like heavy thing, and the VA was like, we can't move that. It, it belongs to the prosthesis department, which means he owns it. It's part of him. Um, any vet that has a prosthetic, which they consider the hospital bed to be a prosthetic for some unknown reason. What? Um, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> That's the category it falls under. It's so That's weird. so weird. Yeah, but they said we can't move it. It's a prosthetic device. We can't move it. You own it now. You have to move it yourselves. And so oh, we wow. called this moving company and they're like, yeah, for $600, we'll do the same day move. So we forked over $600 to move it the 15 minutes from my sister's house to my mom's house. 
Wow. And they're like, hey, there's room in the truck. Can we take some of this other stuff for you too? And we're like, oh yeah, that'd be great. Thank you so much. And so we brought over a bunch of other stuff that we needed. And then we filled my mom's car with some miscellaneous stuff. And we got him moved over, like all this stuff moved over to the house and set up, not that day because in the middle of setting it up, we we figured out that he didn't, he wasn't coming home that day. Oh. So like, oh, phew. why did you have for like emergency moving then? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Wow. There's so much involved that you don't, wouldn't think about until you're going through it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really amazing. It's like, I mean, I guess it makes sense because technically you, everybody owns their own bed. Right. Um, but I mean, usually not like if you're like staying somewhere though. Yeah, I know. And it's like, it's kind of weird because they considered my sister's house to be a home, his home placement. Okay. Whereas technically it wasn't his home placement. It was just where we had space for him. Yeah. yeah. So now he's all set up back in his old house with your mom. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and we're getting, in fact, my dad is the only one who really has the stuff set up. The rest of us are kind of still trying to work out the house. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least he's set up. Okay. And how's he doing now? Um, he's doing better. Um, he went from that, you know, infant phase to the toddler phase where he's able to, he's using a walker and able to walk around with assistance. Um, he, um, he can go from his bed to the bathroom by himself and back again. Um, he's, you know, he's able to, you know, eat most foods, but we still have to watch him for the choking rest. So he's very much, very much like a typical toddler would be physically, but mentally he's much, much higher functioning, of course. Is he talking now? Yeah, he talks. Um, he still has speech issues, but he talks and for the most part, you know, I can understand him. I repeat back what he says and then he realizes if I mishear something and he'll correct okay. me. Yeah. Okay. So I have some things here, some bullets that I'm going to read out and then okay. uh, we can discuss them as they come. Okay. Here's just a few things that make it different and or harder for elder care uh, as opposed to childcare. Number one, Unlike childcare, which is often shared and even celebrated in our society, elder care is often shouldered by a few and rarely discussed with others. Does that apply? I mean, right now it's you and your sister and your mom, right? Um, well, in the house, it's me, my, my mom, and my business partner. Uh, but my mom's memory may be going downhill. So. And that's another thing that comes up is that, uh, let's see, where is that one? Um, most family caregivers don't have a nine month preparation time for their new role as mothers do. Friends and family don't throw a party or a shower for new caregivers with gifts as pregnant moms get. Uh, friends are often uncomfortable to offer respite, whereas you might, some friends might be willing to babysit your kid. Um, there's no implicit rules on the roles or clear cut timing for when to assist in a greater capacity when to call upon paid help. Many families find themselves caring for multiple family members at once over a period of many years. So like if something happens to your mom, then you're caring for both of them. And you yeah. don't know, and it's, it's not like it reaches this 18 year old, all right, you're on your own. It's like, 
until until a parent passes away, which is like not what any child wants. But also, at, you know, at the same time, it's it's just it's, it's really different in that way. The uncertainty of how long this is going to go on and and it you don't have as much support. You know, it's not this thing that's yay, there's a new baby. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, you have an ailing parent. And then you're not really getting any help, any babysitting services to give you a break and, and that type of thing. Yeah. And. Um, luckily, because my dad is a vet and he's considered 100%, the VA is paying for a caregiver to come in three okay. times a week for four hours. And then we get respite every other week for eight hours. Okay. Um, and so we have like, I think it's every other Tuesday, we have the eight hour respite. And then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have the four hour um, caregiver that comes in. She helps with the with showering and doing all these things. I mean, at any point in time, if my dad has an accident or something, me and my mom will have to clean him up. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I had to, you know, change his bed the other day, right? Like, it's like, you know, okay, dad, what happened here? And he explained it to me. I'm like, okay, well, these things happen. Let's get you in the bathroom and let's go. Mm -hmm. um, get everything, you know, and I stripped the bed and made it and that's just the way it is, right? And Yeah, just, um, as, if a, just as if a preschooler did that all right well let's just clean it up you know it's it's the similarities there's a lot of similarities and a lot of differences and even the role reversal talk about like these are the people that took care of you for your mm -hmm. entire life and who changed your diapers who raised yeah. you and taught you how to talk and and feed yourself and all this and now you're doing that for them what is that like for you um well you know it's interesting because i was changing my dad's diaper back when he was at my sister's house and um, we were going through 12 diapers a day. It was unsustainable. And luckily, the VA eventually kicked in and started sending us diapers and stuff. Otherwise, just spent thousands of dollars in diapers. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, a couple times, my dad's like, I hate, you know, this, you know, he's like, essentially, it's like, he really didn't like that he had to do this, but I had to do it, right? Yeah. Like, Dad, well, listen, you took care of me when I was a kid, and now you need help. And so that's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. You know, this is just the, this is just what has to be done right now. Mm -hmm. There's nothing we can do about it. We just have to do it. Yeah. And yeah. I don't mind. I'm here. Yeah. 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 It's such like a vulnerable place. I feel like for the parent to mm -hmm. be in, you know, they're always, they've always seen themselves as your, you know, your caretaker and the person who's going to be there for you no matter what. And then all of a sudden you're changing their diapers. I can only imagine what he's going through, just experiencing, you know, that, that loss of autonomy for himself while yeah. also knowing that, I mean, you're stepping up, you know, you're doing like, what, what would it be like to not, to know that his family did, wouldn't step up, you know, it's, it's hard. It would be hard either way, but at least he has someone, you know, but getting over that, that like, okay, my kid's changing my diapers now. I can only imagine. I mean, when that time comes with my dad, I don't think he's going to, he's, I don't think he's going to be very gracious about it. I think that's going to be like a, <laughs> it's going to be a thing just because yeah, of we've, personality. Yeah. We've been very, very fortunate with my father. Um, my mother is notoriously a lot more difficult to take care of when she's like, I, because I've been there for her surgeries and different things like that. And she's just more difficult to take care of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, my dad is relatively easy. Now, from a medical standpoint, he's been a lot more difficult. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the worry and the constant like anxiety is definitely heightened with his care. 
versus my mother. My mother's just more difficult to take care of. It's like, yeah. oh, can I get more salt on this? Or, oh, can I get this and this? Oh, and I need their water. And da, da, da. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if I short order cook, <laughs> she's like, well, I want all my food at the same time. I'm like, no, this is the way that it came out of the oven. This is the way you're getting it. Like, we're not, you, you, you can, you can eat the same way I eat. It, it won't kill you. <laughs> like, I don't care if your potato and your salad don't come out at the same time. I mean, one's cold and the other's hot. Like, deal yeah. with it. Yeah. So I think that greatly depends on the parent how uh, difficult it's going to be, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, I definitely can see, you know, my mom. And then, of course, with her memory issues and stuff, um, she's had she's had cognitive issues before. In fact, that's why she was eventually let go from Home Depot. Mm. Uh, she had um, an accident that drove the disc into her spine. She had to have um, surgery, cervical mm. spinal mm -hmm. cord surgery, to get that disc fixed so that it would not go into her spinal cord and cause paralysis potentially. Um, and we were, she was able to do that. Um, that was one of the other times I saw my dad really scared and worried. Yeah, um, when was she was in the surgery way back then? That was in the 2000s, early 2000s. I was still in high school at the time. Okay. Um, and he was very worried about that. And then the other time I saw him worried was when he was going to go into the cath lab. He was mm -hmm. scared. You could yeah. see it scared. So, yeah. but yeah, my mom, um, she had the cognitive issues. She worked for Home Depot and some other places, and she eventually got let go from Home Depot because she was falling asleep in the call center. Um, just like couldn't couldn't stay awake. She was having issues with other things there, and so they let her go. And I said, "Mom, you know what? You have issues. We should really apply for disability because this is not normal. A normal employee would not do this, and this is why you were let go. Like." Yeah have a case here yeah. and so I helped her apply for disability and she ended up getting it and she cried she's like Beth I didn't know there was anything wrong with me I'm like mom yeah you did because you were telling me your symptoms um you know and so yeah the doctors you know they took one look at her and they're like yep something's wrong mm. so they approved I, you know with uh, I was just diagnosed with a REM sleep behavior disorder which um oftentimes leads to uh, Parkinson's. So like one of my biggest fear is that like Silas, my two-year-old, before he's, you know, he's going to have to be, him and my husband are going to have to be like caring for me before he's, before size even an adult, he's going to have to like move into this, you know, caretaker role, especially, I mean, hopefully it would be Cameron, but God forbid, you know, anything happens to Cameron. It's like, putting that on him and would I be the, I say this about my dad, like, Oh, he'd be hard to take care of. Would I be hard to take care of? Am I going to be in this I'm mental where I don't remember, you know, like, or where I'm just like, so I don't know. Like I would hope that my mental health would be okay. That I won't turn into a mean person when someone's taking care of me. But these are definitely fears I have that if that happens that, you know, I don't know. I don't want my son to have to take care of me when I'm not even elderly, you know? So you're talking about REM sleep disorder. <laughs> yes. Just how after getting diagnosed with that, with REM sleep disorder and finding out that it usually leads to Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. Um, and I'm still young and they say within 12 years, 70 to 80% within 12 years of the, the sleep or 10 years of the sleep 
disorder starting, which was seven years ago for me, there's 70 to 80% of people develop Parkinson's. And yeah. uh, so that would be in like three years. There's like a 70 to 80% chance that I would develop Parkinson's and I'm only 35 and my son is only two. So like if he has to, you know, start taking care of me or at least see me, you know, whatever I may end up at before he's even an adult, then like this might be a reality for him way before it ever should be, you know? And I don't really know, like just that thought, you know, like if I'm, I'm already thinking about like what to do with my parents. And now I'm thinking about like, what do I do with me in the next 10 years? You know, it's, yeah. I don't want to put that on him. Like that is not what I want his teenage years to look like, or even in his twenties, you know? Yeah, I know. And it's weird because I had something similar. I had, um, I actually had a medical diagnosis myself recently where I was having um, trouble with UTIs and I went to the doctor and I was on my third antibiotic when I went to the ER and they're like, you know what, let's just go and do a CAT scan. They did the CAT scan and then they come back and they're like, you need to go see a specialist. Mm -hmm. We're going to get you to a specialist. Here's the specialist you need to call and make the appointment with. And of course they got me like an almost immediate appointment but in the meantime, I'm looking at my condition, you know, bladder diticulitis and seeing the pictures of these bladders and seeing that the preferred treatment is surgery and saying, oh, my gosh, I might need a surgery. And surgery means that I might die. And I just saw everything start flashing in front of me. Right. And then I'm like my parents. And I'm like, OK, well, what's the fastest way to get everybody up to speed with my business? What's the fastest way to make sure that, you know, my parents are taken care of because my sister actually has kidney stones and stuff. And she was dealing with a kidney stone surgery last week. Um, like yeah. our family just has a huge amount of health issues that we're dealing with. Um, you know, luckily, um, you know, my dad's the only one that's been quote unquote life threatening thus far. So we've been very, very fortunate for that. Um, but still, you know, a lot. And so I went, I went like nearly a week thinking I might need surgery and could potentially die. And I was like, okay, I got to go see the specialist. And I was just so nervous walking in to see the specialist ends up. He's referred me to a special or specialist. Mm. <laughs> so the two questions he did answer is yes, I could fly because I had a trip going to Phoenix. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, we met in person for the first time there. Yeah. That was super fun. Yeah. Um, to meet in person after what, like three years of yeah. knowing each other online. Yeah, we knew each other for three years and finally met in person like oh, a week or two ago. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy to think. But yeah, and then we're like, let's start a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And my parents are like, when I'm like telling them this, they're like, you know, we're going to be here. We'll we're going to take care of you no matter what happens. I'm like, guys, you're like 70. Like, I'm probably going to have to be the one taking care of you. So who's going to take care of all three of us? <laughs> yeah. going to work out? Yeah. It's like you basically have to get enough money where you can literally afford to turn your house into a private nursing home. Yeah, exactly. Which will never happen for my parents. And I don't know. I'm not making that much money or anywhere close to that much money right now. So, uh, yeah, it's scary to think about. You don't want to think about that your parents yeah. to take care of you or then, then wondering who's going to take care of them. And 
I don't know. It just makes you think about a lot of stuff that you wouldn't normally have to think about. Yeah. It's really interesting. Cause, um, you know, I know this other guy is, um, he's disabled. Um, I think his name's Shane, Shane Burkhart. Um, he, um, he actually married a woman that, you know, they just live together and, um, she takes care of him and people are like, Oh, your relationship is fake and blah, 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 blah. Right. Because she has to physically take care of him, but she's also getting stuff, you know, things out of the relationship and things too. Right. And so in this case, she chose, she knew going in, this is what this is going to be. And she chose that life for herself uh, to be with this person. And I totally get that. I mean, my fiance is blind, you know, I chose to be with him. Like he's my Mm -hmm. best friend. Right. Um, you know, eventually he'll move out here. He's actually out here visiting. He flies back in three days. Oh, nice. So, yeah, I'm doing a podcast instead of spending time with him. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's it's really good because I think I need to get out and, and talk about this stuff because, you know, the, that thing you were reading on that bullet point, it's like, yeah, people don't people don't want to talk about it. Yeah, you know, yeah. Everybody prefers talking about the cute baby and stuff. And then there are a lot of parents that don't get enough support, even with the cute little babies. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, listen to this. Seasoned, seasoned mothers are happy to impart wisdom on new moms. Parents gather at school pickup and informally support one another. Friends are eager to babysit. Employers are often forgiving when parents need time off to care for their sick child. And that's not very true. But demands of care typically get easier as the child ages and many families plan children separate ages whatever but that's not that doesn't happen there is no like let's meet up at the parent drop-off and talk about how hard things are you know like there are i did see some support groups when i was looking this up and um but like i mean it's just not something that you hear about a lot so people who are doing that or caring for people are uh, often alone in that and that just makes it so much harder so that was my Echo Auto trying to connect to my phone. Oh, <laughs> that's okay. I can barely hear it. <laughs> but yeah, um, I, yeah, like it's so, it's so much hard. And I hear, I hear a lot of parents that are complaining about stuff. I'm like, that relates to me and my parents. Like what's yeah. happening with this, the elder care situation? I'm like, why is there just so much correlation? Mm-hmm. Because I never heard about this before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I was aware of people that, oh, yeah, our mom's lives with us and we take care of, you know, we help take care of her, take her to her doctor's appointments and stuff. I'm like, OK, cool. So you kind of do the stuff that I was doing with the group home where we took care of people with disabilities. Right. And so that's the world I came from is like, um, you know, we ran a private group home where we, you know, help people with disabilities take care of each other. We all we all pitched in and all like help take care of each other. And we had, you know, an informal group home going. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that eventually, you know, I decided that I wanted to do a foster adult. And so I had a foster adult, um, that, you know, I guess you'd call my foster son for, um, four and a half years. Oh, okay. That's cool. And, yeah. And so I did that for four and a half years and then I got sick and I couldn't take care of him as well. And so he decided to go live with his parents and, um, I eventually figured out that I should not be eating meat products <laughs> because it was I've making me. Smoothies, girl. I've been doing those smoothies. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. That, that, that should probably be an episode in and of itself. Yeah. All the stuff. Yeah, for sure. We should definitely do an episode on that. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Like, you know, I, I just come from that world of disability, you know, centric stuff. And so when my dad can't communicate very well, I'm like, okay, well, just make adaptions for it. Right. Like right. it's no big deal. It's like, okay, he could talk better before, but now he can't. So we'll just do this. Right. And um, yeah, you have a lot of experience with that type of stuff and with caregiving in general. Yeah. And so, you know, and, you know, growing up autistic, I grew up, I have um, Asperger's syndrome, high functioning autism. Um, and I, you know, I never understood what was going on. I had like so much anxiety. I'm like, ah, and I, I just couldn't understand anything that was going on. But, you know, I, I'm probably the last person my parents would have pegged to be taking care of them. Right. Like, this is the kid that people said we should have institutionalized, right? Like, wow, that's a that's crazy just to think about it that way. But you being, but you knowing what it's like to not be able to kind of understand what's going on and communicate makes you, I mean, almost makes you a better caregiver. And just that being leading into your role of your own company and all the stuff you've done kind of makes you the best option for a caregiver. So that's really funny how that how that changed and worked out that your experiences helped you take care of them when they, you know, when it was so hard growing up and now you're, you're able to do it for them like they did for you. Yeah. Cause it was my dad. My dad would talk to me for hours on end and explain everything to me, you know, and that helped me so much that helped me learn and grow so much, you know, and then later on when, you know, I branched out and I was kind of doing my own stuff in my twenties and figuring out things from there, I was able to be like, okay, well, I need to make people explain things to me. And so I did. I mean, when I didn't know something, I made people explain it to me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I asked questions. And I got good at asking questions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so sometimes I know to stand back and let things play out. And then I go back and I ask questions later because my dad taught me, you know, there's a time and place to ask questions too. Like you don't ask about, the black girl in the car skin color when you're driving with her right there, right? Because, you know, I grew up in a very sheltered white Caucasian environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, um, my like parents, yeah, my parents were very, everybody is equal and mm -hmm. all these things. But at the same time, I'm like, but her skin's so pretty, you know, yeah, exactly. that maybe we shouldn't talk about that, like, with the kid right there, because she was, she was, she was a kid, she was my sister's age, three years younger than me, mm -hmm. um, and so it wasn't socially appropriate to be bringing yeah. it up in that context, right. um, yeah, mm -hmm. so, yeah, I mean, maybe if they were talking about makeup or something, but, yeah, yeah, like, just out of the blue, <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's another another some bullet points. Let me see how they hit you. Um, elder care is unpredictable, variable events that can occur suddenly or creep up slowly. Obviously, yours was pretty sudden. Um, child care focuses primarily on healthy children who live with the uh, person, but elder care involves a variety of services responding to financial, housing, health, and legal issues that often need to be delivered at a distance. So it's like, 
you're not just worrying about, I mean, you're not just worrying about as a parent, you know, your own finances and they're part of, you know, you're, they're all just kind of under you, but then you're dealing with a parent mm -hmm. and it's your finances and their finances and their house. And so it's like the responsibility of a whole nother life that is now on you to figure out. And you may not, they may not be in reality of what needs to happen or be happy with what needs to happen. So that's a whole nother, a whole nother can of worms that you're dealing with. not just like trying to keep them alive, but like also trying to deal with their assets and their finances and all of that. And you might not even have the, I mean, most people don't have the, you know, legal understanding on how to take care of that or even the financial ability to hire lawyers and do all this stuff. So then you have all of that falling on you as well. Yeah, it's, it's really hard. In fact, we're still trying to work out some of the legal stuff um, and figure out what we're going to do with that. So yeah, maybe, maybe text me later. <laughs> remind me. <laughs> figure out your legal stuff, Beth. <laughs> and like, yeah, I'm like, literally, I, I, I'm really bad. I'm like always on lives telling people like, oh, wait, can you text me later about that? <laughs> I understand that. I forget. I just had to tell my employee. She's like, I'm really sorry to bother you. I know I already brought this up, but can you? And I was like, oh, please don't be sorry. I'm like, you need to remind me. Like, it's totally fine if you need to remind me like 10 times. I, I promise. I have ADHD. So my brain is like, my working memory is like zero. So I will forget something immediately after being told. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, my working memory is okay until something more important comes up and then <laughs> gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And my preferred focus, I can focus on things with infinite patience and infinite focus for hours and hours on end. I will forget to eat. I will forget to sleep. I will forget everything, but what I am obsessed with. I do um, the same yeah. Yeah. And that's really good for, you know, getting projects done, but uh, yeah. Not personally, not so much. Yeah, not so much like, oh my gosh, the Alexa alarm's gone off. Maybe we should go uh, give dad his meds right now. You know, like, yeah. uh, take a break. You need to get up and walk. Your watch said move like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> you know, like, yep. yeah. What about the feeling side of things? Uh, let's see about this. Plenty of feelings come into play for caregiving scenarios. Both emotions are very different. Raising a child is filled with moments of joy and satisfaction as the little ones grow and become more independent, which I can vouch for. Watching Silas grow and become more independent. He's now in this me phase. Everything is, no me, no me, which is frustrating, but also like, oh, he's wanting to be his little person. But caring for parents, on the other hand, often involves feelings of sadness and even denial as they're losing their abilities. Instead of becoming more independent, they're becoming less independent and requiring more assistance. So what's that like? Just like knowing that at least when you're taking care of a kid, you're raising them for the purpose of raising them into an independent adult. And you see that happening, you know, every day they're getting more independent and they're learning more stuff. Whereas when you're caring for a parent, every day they're deteriorating almost, you know, and it's, you know, that the goal isn't to raise this functioning human into a, you know, it, it's, it's to take care of them as they're going, you know, as they're deteriorating. So what's like, what's that like on your own psyche and emotions? Oh, uh, it's, it's, it's hard because I'm like, well, I have this toddler, right? Essentially my dad. And I have this teenager, like cranky teenager, which is my mom. Um, 
mom, I'm sorry I called you a cranky teenager, but you know, uh, at times, <laughs> like, that's just the way it is. Um, you know, and so, like, you know, I kind of equate it to that because it's, it's easier for me to think in those terms. And then I realized that I'm not raising people that are going to continue on. They're going to be at the end of their journey. Yeah. I am marching not towards the future, but towards the end. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, that fills me with anxiety. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to march towards the end. I want to march towards the future. And that, that to me is the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. It, really the hardest thing. And that I think takes the most toll on me is when I stop to think about it. Um, marching towards the end is not something I like. I want to be, you know, moving forward. I want to keep everybody, you know, happy and healthy and moving forward as much as possible, you know, and so on my day-to-day things, you know, part of dad's rehab and stuff is that I can't do too much for him. We shouldn't be doing too much for him. He needs to do more for himself. He needs to practice moving. If he's in an odd position and he's okay, then we're going to leave him there to get himself out of the odd position he's in. If he's doing something odd that looks strange to us, we're going to ask him to explain it. And if he can explain it, we're going to let him do it because he's an adult. Right. Whereas if it was a toddler, it'd be like, mm, we probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. Right? But it's my dad. So I let him do, you know, use his reasoning and tell me what's going on. Um, and so I guess in that way, it is quite a bit different. Right. As you know, you have to respect their own autonomy and all these things. And so it's not like a toddler. I can just like pick him up and say, OK, we're going to go to the room now and, you know, do this and that, right? Um, but, you know, it's also my dad. So it's like, dad, we need to do this because of X, Y, and Z. And he's like, oh, okay. You know, yeah. like, and so that that kind of makes things easier too. And of course, my dad loves us and he wants to be around for us. And he understands that, like, you go anywhere and that's not part of the deal. You're going to stay here and you're going to live with us. And that is the way it's going to be, period. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know? yeah and so um yeah and my mom is like um you know she's having those memory episodes and stuff and we're trying to figure out her medications and ooh, there's an interesting story about cat bite but we we need content for another day too so Uh, okay well just to give a few for anyone who is uh going through this and needing some support there are caregiver support groups out there so uh check those out as we talked about there's not a lot of support for that um there's also uh financially there's medical care tax deductions dependent care accounts dependent care tax credits so uh look into those if you are a caregiver and you're Get all the help financially you can for that. And uh, what else, Beth? What would you like to uh, say to anyone who uh, might be going through what you're going through right now? Well, you have to remember that, you know, it's, this is, it's not exactly something that most people would choose to do, but if you're choosing to do it, you, you're, you know, your heart's in the right place and stuff. And, 
you know, just enjoy the time you have, um, you know, focus on quality because your quantity is rapidly decreasing, right? Every day. And so focus on quality, focus on, you know, okay, well, I have, you know, 10 minutes here or 15 minutes there, like go in and say, Hey, you want to read, you know, I keep, I keep books around. Like, um, we have this one called stupid history. Um, and it has like all these little anecdotes throughout history and stuff. And so I've opened that up and I'll read a couple of those out loud and we can laugh about them. And, uh, my mom likes to do crosswords. So sometimes we'll do crossword puzzles together and take me and my mom will take turns writing stuff down and dad will spell words for us or come up with the answers. And, you know, we like to do that kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, just focus on the quantity and stuff. And, you know, if you do, if you, focus on the quality yeah focus on the quality see i get the cute i get i get i get words that have the letters flopped i get it what what about if you're like you've been doing this for a long time and you're feeling at the end of your rope what what is there do you have any advice for that because some people i mean this is years and years and gosh my poor husband if i get parkinson's soon he, it's gonna be a long time for him to take care of me <laughs> What yeah. would we give to, you know, people who've been doing this for a long time and they're just feeling at the end of the rope? Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard, but you know, when I feel like it's too much or something, I, I get out, I get out of the house, I take a walk, I make sure that all the safety stuff is done before I leave. Right. And I'm like, I'm out in my car right now doing a podcast. Like, you know, this is how I'm dealing with my mental health. I go to uh, my business partner watches my parents while I go to my EMT classes at night, you know, the emergency medical technician classes. And so um, I get out of the house and I do my other things. Um, we, you know, we go places when we have the caretakers, you know, and stuff. And you just have to kind of figure out how you can build into this lifestyle. And also, you know, if your loved one, you know, needs certain things that um, there might be senior centers, um, there's daycare programs where um, seniors can meet and stuff and talk to people. And there's just different programs out there in the community where, you know, if you do need a few hours to yourself, you might be able to just drop them off for a few hours, they can have lunch and hang out with their friends and you can go off and do other things. I mean, that's now yeah. opening back up because it was all shut down from COVID, of course, but right. now everything's opening back up and those resources are available. You know, if I wanted to, I could drop my mom off at the mall and let her play, you know, in the, in the senior center all day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now I might want to take away <laughs> <laughs> or my dad because you know dropping my mom off in a mall with the credit cards is a little um, dubious. But <laughs> oh yeah, that's good though. Places like that definitely. Um, yeah. Well, that might be me, and in ten years I'll just be dropped off at the senior center. You don't have to worry about me with the uh, with the credit cards though. I'm way too cheap to uh, to do that. But I'll be the young one with all the old folks. <laughs> hey guys. <laughs> I belong here now. <laughs> Playing yeah. baseball. That may be me. Oh, well, this was fun. Our very first episode. Yeah. Did we deep dive enough for you? <laughs> <laughs> I Any think... thoughts you want to throw out there? 
Well, I think, I think this is a good start because, you know, we're kind of, um, I think people now have a kind of an, more of an idea of where we're coming from. Like mm -hmm. I think we're one, one autistic person, one ADHD person who love to talk about <laughs> things that usually are like taboo or not talked about a lot. That's why we start, started this thing. I was like, I always want to talk about all this stuff and I never can. And everyone tells me you shouldn't talk about that. And then you're like, me too. And I'm like, we should talk about it together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You so, know, and I'm sure we'll have plenty of topics to talk about. Oh so. yeah. Oh yeah. There's tons of stuff up here that I shouldn't be talking about that I really want to talk about. <laughs> oh, I'm fascinated by, there's so much stuff that, we don't like really talk about in this society that I feel like we need to, because people would feel a lot less alone if we did. Yeah. So anyways, I guess we'll leave off with, um, if you're on YouTube, please like comment and subscribe. If you're on a podcast app, please leave us a good review or, you know, subscribe to the podcast. Um, we can be reached. Um, we'll put our information in the show notes and uh, we'll try and include some of those resources for you too. Um, yeah. as if you, do you have any topics you'd like to, to bring up, uh, tell us too, and we'll try to deep dive into them. Yep. And our website is the deep dive podcast.com. Look at that. Beth is on it. Beth yeah. is on it. Yeah. I Deep moonlight as a tech Beth. expert. Yeah, she's the tech Beth. I am not the tech Beth. I don't know what which Beth I am, but she's the tech Beth. <laughs> okay, and with that, we'll sign off with our first episode, and we'll see you guys for episode two. All right. Yeah. Woohoo! <laughs>